turn into the book or the, uh, the letter, the prophet of Habakkuk. Or if you're from the south, it's Habakkuk. Depends on if you're Jewish or Southern as to how you pronounce it. Um, Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3. See, you know, a few weeks ago when Chris came to me and began to talk this through as to what was happening, we knew that there, was, there were transitions going on with his hours of work and, and all that, that he was going through there, and then the um, uh, the, um, the opportunities that were coming. And so we, we saw this happening and I've re, you know, I'm reacting like four different ways here because I'm the father and I'm the grandfather and I'm the pastor of the church. And so we're going through this, you know, all right, is it, is it God? I mean, Chris and Liz have to decide that. I can't decide that for them. But I want that affirmation in my own heart. And I am a parent, you know, who wants to control all my kids' lives, you know. And uh, I've learned over the years, not, try not to do that, try not to do that. And so, um, uh, which I think I do a pretty good job. And, but I wanted some affirmation, you know, about this, seeking the Lord. And the Lord dropped a word in me, and so this may be just for me, okay? Because I have dreams and visions that are locked up in my heart that haven't happened yet. And so uh, as I began to pursue it, the Lord just dropped this, what is now a message that I'm gonna share with you today. Um, The question here really is, how does God work all this stuff? How, does he, how do we know when doors are open, when doors are closing? How do we know uh, when to move, when not to move, when, not, when to take action, when not to take action? How do we know when it's up to us or is it up to God? And what about the timing? What about other people? And how do we work through all that stuff? And the real question, if I could make it simple, would be, How does God make destinies happen? How does God make destinies happen? Little Jack was uh, dedicated in the first service today. Well, God knew Jack before he was in his mother's womb. And there are gifts and talents and relationships and there are are, um, things to do and personality that's different from anyone else. All of this is inside of Jack. And so there are destinies to be fulfilled. And how does God do that? How do we know that he's doing it? How do we participate? How, 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 do, how does this work? How does God make destinies happen? Um, the scripture in Habakkuk 2, it's, I'm going to read you the New King James first. So don't put the uh, ESV up yet. The New King James says it this way. This is one of those verses that I would read and say, all right, when I get to heaven, I've got to ask God, was he just like making a joke or, you know, why does this thing look so funny? So here it is. It's it's verse three. Well, start with verse two. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision 
make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Get it? Run who reads it. You're running, right? For the vision is yet for an appointed time, okay? But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Let me say that again because I know your brain is going, Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Uh, let, me, let me clarify. Though it tarries, it will not tarry. Hey, Lord, did you know that it says that? It's like you said it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, or it might. What is this saying? And then all you have to, you know, today we can look up the Hebrew and we can, you know, look at the different translations. And let's look at the ESV. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it, oh, that's the, oh, you put the New King James up there. You're just sharper. I know what you're doing. You heard me. I see, they do this all the time. I say something, and it's not in my notes, but they throw it up there, because that's just, you know, ahead of the game. Have you got the ESV, the other one that I had? It's there somewhere. See if the ESV is there. If not, I can read it. The ESV says it this way. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So there's a better translation of what it says. It's, it's almost like this. I wrote, I have this little phrase I've made up. Hurry up and wait. Here it comes. Don't miss it. There, there's something in this dynamic of how God works that seems to not make sense to me. Often I have felt like God has given me something to do or a vision or, and then it'll seem like I get really excited about it. I get highly motivated toward it. And then it gets put on the shelf. And I'm thinking, why? Why is it, why is it on the shelf? Why am I still waiting for this? Have you ever been at the starting line of and the, and, and, and the light's red, you know, you're in a hot rod and you're at the starting line. No, I, most of you haven't done that, but your life feels this way. It's red and you want it to turn green and the engine is revving and you're ready to go and it's red and it's red and it's red and it's red. Your life feels that way so that you feel like you're on the starting line year after year after year after year. Hurry up and wait. Here it comes. Don't miss it. When uh, my daughter, who was here, you know, we got this thing happening. I've had two children now here on staff who then leave. So we got to work this out somehow. Uh, but Joy was here for two years. And um, uh, Joy, in uh, her last year here in November, um, last year, in fact, she went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, taking Carol's place. Carol was facing surgery, and, and, uh, and so she asked Joy to take her place with some uh, board meetings that she was supposed to be at. She had to make a presentation, so Joy made the presentation. So Joy went to Tulsa, and uh, she had gone to college there. And while she was there reconnecting with friends, they went to a basketball game. And at the end of the basketball game, she encounters a young man. 
this young man, she had dated in college. And they had just a very brief, you know, little discussion and then walked away. But something happened back here. Can you remember something maybe that happened in November here last year? All right, so the big storm hit here. And what should have been a three-day trip turned into a week-long trip for her because she couldn't get back into Buffalo. And uh, uh, after they had seen each other that night, Chris Barker heard that Joy wasn't getting on her plane because they had mutual friends. And so Chris calls her and says, hey, you want to go out for coffee? Well, she called us and told us that he had made that phone call. We hung up. And I turned to Carol and I said, they're going to get married. And she said, and everybody has said to me, well, how, how, how did you know that? You know, well, see, Joy came home and it was in motion. We knew it. And it wasn't long before, even though he asked, he asked me, listen, when he asked me, he called me on the phone, then he came here and asked me for a hand in marriage. Then he had, a, and then he had the engagement where he asked her, but it all happened back there while they were in Tulsa. It was already on the books by that time. I mean, they had already talked this thing. It was happening that fast. And everybody said to me, wow, that was really fast, man. I mean, aren't you concerned that happened? I mean, did she just met this guy? I said, are you kidding me? That wasn't fast. That was slow. First of all, I've been praying for that girl since the day she was born for that husband. And second of all, I've been praying for this boy for six years. When she started dating him, I went, he's the one. You get it? See me? Read my lips. He's the one. I mean, you, every, 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 there ought to be a thousand of these guys, okay? I mean, he, this is an awesome guy, <laughs> and, and uh, everything a father would want in a son-in-law. And so, I mean, he's got a great job, a good career, and he's wanting to give as much of it to missions as he can. And he's just, this guy is, he's on fire. I'm, 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 look, I, I met him six years ago. And, and I took him out on a little coffee myself when he said he was going to date my daughter. And when I walked away from that, I'm going, yes. And then they break up. Her heart may not have been broken, but mine was. <laughs> and so I've been praying for this guy for six years. And Carol will tell you, there have been times I've wanted to email him because I'd see Joy going through a thing and I'd want to email him and say, now, now, caller. Okay. <laughs> and so, well, his, his parents were doing the same thing. They were praying for Joy. And uh, Carol and Carol and his father were actually on the board together the alumni board at ORU, and they would have these meetings twice a year, and they would be praying for this, and they'd be talking about, hey, are you praying? Yeah, I'm praying. But we couldn't say anything, you know, and so we just had to be quiet, hands off, let God do it. So when it happened, it wasn't fast. It was slow. Do you see that? And so they got married eight and a half months later after that reconnection, and um, see, I've got five children and they're all going through the phases. I just, my oldest son it had nothing to do with a job opportunity coming his way, had nothing to do with the job he had. He just knew in his heart it was time for a change. And he was, he was 
he was crying out to God and fasting and praying for it. And then he started pursuing things, and it, it happens in different ways. My, my got one daughter that's destined right now in June when she graduates, she's going to India for 12 months. You know, my, all my kids are going through this phase in their life, and listen, this is called life all the way through, where you're watching and listening and being stirred and wanting to follow God's will and his voice, and, uh, and it's exciting when, when all of this is is coming into play. But how does God do this? How does he actually manufacture destinies? How does he make destinies happen? And can I mess the destiny up? What if I get off track? What if I make a decision where I go to the wrong place or take the wrong job? What, what about that? I mean, am I off track? Well, I, this morning, I'm going to show you just three ways that God makes destinies happen. Number one, God is making history. He's making history. It's not just about me or you. It's not just about what's going on in my life. There's a phrase that we've used for years, and it helps adjust our thinking. It says this, it's not just about God's will for my life. It's about my life for God's will. That's a different perspective. It's not about me. I'm not the center of the universe. There is a history happening so specific that the time of Jesus' conception and birth was an exact second in history. It was not going to happen a second more or a second less. It was going to happen in that particular moment in history. Do you know what we know now? And I may actually invite this guy. Uh, he is a science buff, a very intelligent man, but he's gathered the information that scientists now know. This should be on the front page of the newspaper. It's phenomenal. They, have, they can now, uh, as they have been tracking the constellations, for many years, they can now go in reverse in history with the constellations and go backward. And when you go back to the time of Jesus' birth, this is going to blow you away. It blew me away when I saw it. You come back to the time of Jesus' birth. The, the star of Bethlehem was not just a magical star in the sky. There was actually an alignment of a couple of, uh, you know, I'll say stars, but even planets, there's a, there was an alignment happening. And that alignment, when you go back to the time of Jesus' birth, it actually shows up in the alignment. And both when the, the, uh, both when the uh, Magi first saw it, and then as it continued to change, then it happened again when, uh, when Jesus was born. And so it's, it's a phenomenon that's actually recorded in this scientific reversal of the constellations. And it's something that they said probably only happens once every 35,000 years. It's incredible. There was an exact moment in history that the stars aligned for Christ to be born. God is making history. And we are within the context of that. We're living within the context of his history. Joshua chapter one, verse two. Moses 
my servant is dead. This is God talking to Joshua. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land where I am giving to them the children of Israel. Let me tell you what's really sad about that verse. I mean, that's exciting for Joshua. It's exciting for the children of Israel. But you know what is really sad about that verse? That the vision for them to be delivered from the Egyptians and taken into the promised land was not given to Joshua. It was given to Moses. Moses, Moses is dead. Let's, let's go back a ways here and see about history and how it impacts a person's life. Moses was saved as a baby when his contemporaries were being killed by the Egyptians. So he had a destiny. Moses, at 40 years old, gains a heart to deliver. He, he didn't know quite how this looked, but because of what he did, we know that his heart was there to deliver his, uh, the Israelites, his people. And yet, it wasn't until 40 years later, while Moses is in exile, that God actually finally turns his head and says, okay, I'll tell you how to do it. 40 years. Hey, Lord, here I am, and I'm in exile. Won't you talk to me? 40 years. And he finally says, oh, okay, let me show you how to do it. Burning bush. Then he goes at 80 years old, the man is organizing a million children, a million people to move out of that land. And he goes through 10 plagues and he divides the Red Sea. And then he ends up out in the wilderness and, and has the whole 10 commandment thing happen. And he begins to take them into the promised land. And then they don't go. <laughs> and 40 more years of a rebellious people and Moses having to live with it. And at the end of those years, they cross into the promised land, finally, but without Moses. I mean, it's life fair, Lord. Yeah. Moses could be saying, hey, God, I've given my whole life to this, and I'm not going to see it happen. I'm not going to be the one to lead them in. And basically God said, hurry up and die so we can get this thing on the move. I don't want you to feel too sorry for Moses. Here's why. 1,500 years later, 1,500 years later, Moses is standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah. That's good company. Those two men, by the way, were actually, they actually had strange deaths. It was just Moses and God when Moses died, so no telling how that happened. And then, by the way, don't forget, I mean, this, this will throw a twist in your thinking about God's leadership. After the burning bush, when he called Moses to do it, then when he was, did you know that it says that God tried to kill him? Try to figure that out. God gives you a big vision for the rest of your life, and then he tries to kill you. Figure that one out. That's a good sermon, but I'll wait for that one. And so, so Moses, 
Think about this now. Moses is standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah, he went into heaven, you know, in a strange way too. And, but they're both standing there, and here's Jesus. Now you've, got, you've got to see the side of Jesus that we don't think about. And that's that. remember that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was weeping and crying and asking God, is there any way this cup could pass from me? Can you imagine at a very young age, Jesus really beginning to realize that his destiny, that his call was death? And not just a human death, but a a death that would take the sin of the world on him. He would die every sinner's death. And that little exchange where Moses and Elijah are there on the mountain, it actually implies that they were encouraging him. And so can you imagine? Why? Because Moses was the perfect person. Moses was, his destiny was to die. Moses actually understood now that he was to die in order to get out of the way because history would not read that Moses delivered them. History would read that Joshua would deliver them, that Joshua would take them into the promised land. History would read, and why? Did you know that Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus? This is about history. It's not about Moses. But don't feel sorry for Moses. He's on the front row of heaven watching the full destiny and realizing that he had a part to play in it. See, God is making history. You know, and and we live in the context of that. Don't be so weird about it, you know. And we are. People are weird about it. I can't believe how terrible the world is. You know, well, now wait just a minute. There's a history going on. God is working far more than the devil is. He's up to stuff the devil's not even aware of. There's light in the world, not just darkness. And we're a part of it. We're on the planet at a given time in history. And we've been called here to be a light that shines in that darkness. Wow. God is making history. Number two, God is making others. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I'm going through. It's not just about my destiny. It's about other people as well. Do you realize that sometimes God will actually have you... Step over to the side so that other people can get by. Sometimes he'll put your life on pause so he can work in somebody else's life. Maybe he'll have you stay at that job that you're trying to leave because of what he wants you to do to serve somebody else there that's on that job. It's it's about other people too. We're connected. We're not just disconnected in our little individual lives. Everything that happens to us, in us and through us, has an impact on somebody else. Even our private life has impact on other people's lives. It's about others. God is making others. Do you know why there are red lights? Ever thought about this? I hate red lights. When I see a red light, no, when I see a green light and uh, the light turns yellow, and I'm close enough, you know, got to get through that thing. Or 
You know, the light's red, and I see the little reflection of the yellow on the other side. And I'm, I'm not close enough that I'm going to do something weird, but I do kind of anticipate. I'm not going to put my foot on the brake yet, and, you know, and I wait when it turns green. We don't like red lights. Do you know why there are red lights? It's so somebody else can get to where they're going. So I have to stop and allow somebody else to go. Moses had to literally stop so that Joshua could fulfill his destiny. Jesus had to stop because the destiny of heaven was not that Jesus in his physical form would finish the task. The destiny of heaven was that Jesus through us would fulfill it. Jesus had to hurry up and die and get out of the way. Yes, he died for our sins. I know all of that, but he literally, in the physical form, ascended. You know, he did rise from the dead, but he didn't stay, did he? He ascended to the right hand of God literally to get out of the way of history so that history could be fulfilled through us. Look at Genesis chapter 50. Verses 19 and 20. We love this story, the story of Joseph, talking about somebody to feel sorry for. Joseph, you know, was given this grand vision at the beginning of his life. And then his brother sold him into slavery and called him dead and just pretty much just erased him from their life. And uh, Joseph ends up, you know, as a slave. And then things couldn't get much worse. And yet they did. He ended up in prison in the dungeon. And yet what happened? From the dungeon in the matter of a suddenly, he's in the king's court being handed half of the kingdom. Look at the last couple of verses, some of the last verses of Genesis, Genesis 50, 19, and 20. Carol loves to teach on this verse. Joseph said to them, now this is his brothers coming to him afraid now that he knows who they are. They're afraid that he's going to, you know, have revenge and just wipe them off the face of the earth because he's so powerful now. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? I've got a new scripture memory verse for you. Am I in the place of God? What an attitude. Look at what he went through. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What an attitude. All this evil going on in my life. and How could this be? Well, somebody meant it for evil, but God's going to turn it into good if I let him. And then he says this. But God meant it for good in order, so we, for, we don't read this last part. Let's read it. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph had the perspective that everything he had gone through, he had gone through because there were millions of people that would die unless he came into this role. Joseph went through what he had to go through because the whole nation of Israel would die if he did not come into this role. Joseph knew that 
this was not just about him. He didn't live a very good life. Actually, he did because of his attitude. He actually did, but it didn't look very good from the outside until finally he was brought into that place of walking out the other side of his destiny. It was about what God was doing in others. Thirdly, God is making you. It's not just about my job or it's not just about, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing uh, Monday through Friday or what, it's not just about where I live and it's not just about those things. This is about what God is doing in you. A lot of, uh, many times when we think we're on the shelf, we're not on the shelf at all or a vision we have is on the shelf. It's not on the shelf at all. God is working meticulously and actually preparing you and bringing you to the point where you are ready to go with the green light. So you think you're waiting. You're not waiting at all. God is moving mightily in your life and he's preparing you and you've got things you've got to go through before you are ready to push the gas pedal and release the brake and have it in gear and move forward. He's not gonna let you go until you're ready. And so there's a readiness happening. God is making you. That's how he makes destiny happen. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses three and four. Now, this, if you don't know anything about King David, and just read this verse for what it says, and even if you do, you may forget the fact that this is true. This verse is gonna sound weird. Here we go. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king. Now, they're calling him king. The elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David, see, he's called King David. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they, now these are the elders of Israel, they anointed David king over Israel. Why, why were they calling him king if they're about to anoint him as king? David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Well, that's because David was actually king of Judah for seven years before he became king of Israel. Now, you know, when, when, he, was, uh, when he was actually anointed to be king by Samuel, the prophet, he was prophesied over that he would be king of Israel, not just Judah. So can you imagine when David was made king of Judah? It's, it's almost like God saying, I'm calling you to do this over here. Well, then why am I over here doing it? You've said I would be king over here and I'm king over here. What's going on? Before that, David was actually in the enemy's camp and uh, with the Philistines and, and he was in trouble. And all of the wives and children were taken away from the mighty men and they all took that out on David and it was a bad scene, especially when David realized, you know, God didn't actually tell me to come here. Go back and read the story. The implication is powerful. I've preached on it before. David, actually, he didn't, God didn't tell him to go down there and hide. He did this on his own and he got into serious trouble. Now, have you ever been in a place where you realize you kind of get caught in your moment in life and you realize, oh my goodness, I made a bad decision. Oh my goodness, I've gone the wrong direction. 
I mean, you may have even have moved somewhere. You know, you took a job and you realize, oh my goodness, I did that. God didn't really do that. I did it and I what do I do now? Am I outside of the will of God and God can't really do anything in my life now? And, you know, we go through those question marks. Here's David in that very place. What David didn't know was he was there in the enemy's camp for a a year and four months. And what David didn't know while he was there, that he was only, when he went down there on his own, he didn't know that a year and four months later, he was going to move into becoming the king of Judah and seven years later, move into becoming the king of Israel. Did his going to The Phyllis, did that stop what God was doing in his life? Absolutely not. God was with him. He helped him. He didn't tell him right away, but he worked this thing out. He used it as an example. He used it as an opportunity to build and work into David's life and put things in there that weren't there. Obviously, there were some things missing, and God had to make this man and prepare him for becoming king, and this was a great opportunity to do it. That's how God makes our destinies. Before that, David was actually in caves running from the king of Israel. Before that, he was actually in the court of the king, uh, worshiping and really chasing away evil spirits away from the king. He actually went to war for the king and was highly recognized for it. I mean, he was in the place where this thing was going to naturally happen, and he would become king of Israel. And he knew that in his heart. God had already spoken to him. He, it was affirmed. This guy knew he was going to be king where that king was sitting on the throne and David here playing the guitar. Well, it was a harp probably. And, and, and singing worship songs, David knows while he's standing there, he knows that's where I'm going to be sitting. And then God, then, then the king gets up and throws a spear at him. And then he has to run and leave and hides in caves. And before that, my goodness, the boy, when he becomes king, is only 30 years old. Well, go back and you'll find out that he killed Goliath when he was about 16. Would you go find me a 16-year-old that could kill Goliath? Would you find me a 16-year-old that actually is capable and courageous enough to do what David did? And then David, look, before that, David was actually anointed when he was probably 12 to 15 years old, probably around 12. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. This is when Samuel is anointing David. This next part of the verse, by the way, the next verse says, and evil spirits came upon Saul. But look what it says about David. And the Spirit of the Lord, and this is the English Standard Version, ESV. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, chasing him into the king's court, into the caves, chasing him out of the enemy's camp, and back into... Judah and Israel, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Don't be like, don't be like the virgins of the parable of Jesus that were waiting for the bridegroom. There were 10 of them, and five had their lamps with extra oil, and five had their lamps without extra oil. 
And when the bridegroom came, they were caught off guard, and five of them did not have enough oil. And when they went to find it, then the other five went in with the bridegroom, and he shut the door. And they came back, won't you let us in? We didn't have... And the bridegroom says, I, didn't, I don't know you. Here's what you want to do to be ready. You know, the title of my message is Waiting on Go. You want to be like the picture on the front of the bulletin. You want to be that car with, you see that, you know where that smoke's coming from, don't you? It's coming from the tires. When, when you come up to the starting line, you're, you're not at your, the, the, this is, the, the light has turned green, the flag has fallen, and that's why the tires are squealing. But up until that moment, the driver is revving the engine. Why is he revving the engine? So that when, by the way, I got this from Nate Rogers, our youth pastor, because he's really into cars, and that's how I do my research. And so uh, he, he's, they're revving their engine because when the light does turn green, they're ready. The car's ready. Everything's ready. The engine is revved. Don't be like the five virgins who didn't have enough oil. Let the Holy Spirit rush you into your destiny. Be ready. Because when the light turns green, if, you won't have time to go get gas. When the light turns green, you better be ready. The engine better be revved. You better be ready. Zoom. That's... That's what he's calling for. Let's stand together. You know, I have, I, have, I have visions and dreams in my own heart that aren't finished yet, that aren't done. I have, some of it has not even started. And I'm only 60. See, but nothing is on the shelf. God is moving in your life right now, producing the destinies that he's placed in your heart. Father, we thank you for your callings and your giftings. Thank you for the historical moment in which we live. Thank you, Father, for the grace of God that somehow works all that out in relationship with others and the jobs we have and the place where we go to school and Lord, you, you, have, you have orchestrated a beautiful piece of music. And I just, I want to I be your instrument, that one instrument that is well prepared and skillfully playing as the orchestration is coming forth. That's what I want to be. Lord, I want to be on the, at, um, as we, as we go through life and maybe die before the end of the age. And I want to be on the edge of heaven seeing the continuation of the awesome masterpiece that you're painting. But I want to have done my part. And so, Father, we submit our lives to you for that. Speak to us. Lord, refresh us. We're... we're Lord, forgive us for all of this smoky impatience. Forgive us for dragging our feet. 
Forgive us for kicking back and relaxing a little too much. Forgive us for not being ready when we need to be ready. And help us, Father, to get on track with where you're leading us in your church to fulfill what you've called us to. Father, I pray that you would send us with your grace today to walk out your pleasure. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week.